Welcome to From the Heart with Daniel Groom and Don Lister of Anahata Yoga Center. Today, we're talking to Dipti Solanki, grief coach and homeopath. Hi, everyone. How are you today? Well, thank you. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Dawn. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Good to have you here. I'm doing well. Looking forward to our conversation. Yes, absolutely. It's lovely to meet you, Dipti. Thank you for your time and gracing us with your expertise on this podcast today. So should we dive straight in and maybe it would be useful for you to tell us a little bit about yourself um, personally and also professionally what you got you into the field of work that you're currently doing. Sure. Thank you, Daniel. Um, so I, um, I live in London with uh, my two grown teenage boys now, my cockapoo and my husband. Um, and um, I am a grief coach, as Dawn said, and also a homeopath. Now, um, I've been in this world for about 15 years and I never expected to make grief my life's work. However, um, when I was 13, um, I suffered, my family suffered a huge tragedy. We lost my mum. She died um, when I was 13 to medical negligence. And, um, and so this big grief came upon us and I didn't know what to do with this grief. So we just all carried on as if life was normal. Um, there was no information, you know, um, there was no, nothing really changed. It was as if the world still carried on, but this huge figure in our life was gone. And so I stepped into the role of mum and um, carried on doing everything, went to school, did what we needed to be done at home, um, you know, went to university. But through all of these years, um, there was an underlying sadness, which I didn't even recognize because that had become my normal. And, um, and it wasn't until I went to university where suddenly I was struck down with so much anxiety, debilitating depression, and I really couldn't understand it. Um, because everything was good in life now. You know, I was the first girl um, in our family to ever go to university and, and life was good. So I couldn't understand why all this was happening. Um, but I kind of still pushed through. No one knew what I was going through. For me, it was just my normal. That's just how I was. Um, finished university and I was a real achiever. I wanted to achieve all the time and kept pushing for the next stage, the next stage. Uh, finished university, you know, got married straight away, walked into a job in parliament because I wanted to be a politician. Um, and I got an amazing opportunity as a researcher, all, all one after the other, really seamless, you know, from the outside, everyone looking in was like, oh, she's doing really well, hasn't she done well? But actually I was really suffering uh, with this debilitating anxiety and depression. And, um, and so I had to leave my job and I literally sat in a chair for about six months, not being able to move. Um, and it was my journey coming out of that depression and anxiety that kind of leads me to doing what I do today. Um, it was through that journey that um, I learned that my anxiety and depression were symptoms of what actually was my underlying grief that I had carried 
with me all of these years. And ostensibly that grief was that my mother had died, but there were so many other layers of grief um, that hadn't even occurred to me. I didn't actually know what grief was. And it was my, my journey through healing myself in all of that, that um, the world of grief and all the different facets and dimensions and depths and colours of grief revealed themselves to me. And um, that's how I find myself doing what I do today. Wow, that's a really amazing story that you've told. And it, it, I, I, I find the topic of grief, as you've touched upon, is something that we just don't talk about in today as well do we you know we it's almost as though you know grieving is kind of pushed away isn't it you get so long to grieve and then you're expected to get back to to normal whatever that is for you and the fact that you went through that process and you are you recognize that and then you was able to then sit within that deep anxiety and depression that you was going through is a you know so it's really inspiring to hear that because I think many people don't ever give themselves the opportunity to sit in those symptoms or you know within that grief and for me that would be a personal reflection of how I've dealt with grief so far um does that it, it, is that quite common in the in the clients that you work with and the people that that seek your advice yeah so I think grief is a hugely taboo subject but also part of being you know part of that is because it's hugely misunderstood um when we think of grief the first thing most people think about is death and bereavement yeah. and grief is so much more than that you know, we can feel grief in literally every sphere of our life. Even the good things that happen to us can bring on huge feelings of grief. Grief can rise from so many different things. And that's, that's a big part of kind of my mission now is in that education piece to people. Um, because you have so many people that will come to me, um, you know, through my homeopathy or directly through the grief work that say, everything is so good in my life and I just don't know why I feel the way I feel, you know, and, and it's in that exploration of, I don't know what I feel that all these layers reveal themselves, you know, whether it could be something as wonderful as moving house and generally moving house is an upgrade for most people. Um, and so we move to a, a better place, a better area, you know, a, more space, but it's what we may have left behind as well. You know, our connections, our relationships, where our children have grown up, um, the local shopkeepers knowing our name, and essentially you're starting all over again. It's uprooting. And, and that can, while it's brilliant that you've moved and you're celebrating your outward success, internally there can be so many different layers of grief that reveal themselves. So it's looking at, you know, it's really getting out of our heads and into our hearts with everything that we, that we encounter in our lives. And we are so conditioned into being so far removed from our emotional intelligence when we're very, very young. You know, we are conditioned to rub it down, don't show people how you feel, be strong, all of that stuff. So we become disconnected from our emotional selves 
from a very early age. And so we don't allow ourselves to grieve. We don't even, we don't even know how to grieve, you know? Would, would you say it's fair to say that people feel this is something grief particularly, but I would say in many ways, all emotions is something they've got to get past. Oh, yeah. Feeling to see the perfection of being in the moment, whatever that emotion is in that moment. So whatever we're experiencing as we're going through our grief or our trauma, there's such richness and wisdom in there. But actually the process seems very driven towards, I've got to get past that back to how I was before versus seeing the wonder and what could happen if you explored this information that you're receiving in the terms of your emotional being. Yeah. So there's a couple of things in there. The first thing is, um, is that we, most people are, have the inability to be present because we carry so much because of the pace with which we live our lives. And, um, and in order to feel what we're feeling, we really need to be present. So either we're thinking about what's happened in the past or we're constantly planning and rushing forward onto the next thing. But also there's this whole thing, um, and this is a big thing that um, for me personally I have found, is that um, when you talk about grief, when you look at poetry about grief, when you see what is written about grief, there's a real romanticism about it. And part of that romanticism is that, um, and it's partly what you say, you know, that there is wisdom in everything that happens to us. But sometimes it's, you know, it's that whole thing that everything is happening for you, not to you. You know, God doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. While that may be true, um, there has to be a real emotional honesty that sometimes things happen and they don't make sense in the big scheme of things. And sometimes things happen that break our heart. And sometimes we can't see the wisdom in them, but we must allow ourselves to be honest about that and say, gosh, you know what, this is just terrible and my heart is breaking and how can there possibly be a reason that something like this has happened? Because people go through such tragedies and I've heard so much, I'm very privileged enough to that people share so much with me, but sometimes you can't say, you know, there must be a bigger reason for that, you know, and that's part of the work that I try to do with people in, in that emotional honesty saying, it's okay to just not know that there's a reason for this, but just to acknowledge how deeply it's broken your heart. Absolutely. I, I really, I really um, hear the, the truth in that because sometimes life's just awful. Yeah. But really it breaks you and you kind of think, how am I ever going to be put back together? Um, and there, and there just isn't a reason for the trauma that you're experiencing. And it's just unfair. It feels so deeply unfair. Why me? And then we go through that whole process of if I'd done it differently or, you know, what about if I'd behaved in a different way? And then that whole bargaining thing that goes on during the grieving process. And really, you know, my practice has always been as much as possible to be in that, like, to try to be in that surrender place, to be really open to, all of the feelings however uncomfortable they are yeah. you know i think as you said earlier on we are trained very quickly to be quiet to push it down to distract yourself you know if you're crying you know or here shush, 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 or have a sweetie or yes. 
let's let's um why don't we go over here and draw a picture or why don't we watch this movie and have some ice cream versus let's just dig down deep and see what the, you know let's feel all of it yeah i think i don't know what you feel like is there is there this underlying belief that if i let myself feel this way it's never going to go away i'm always going to feel like this i'm going to get lost in this feeling mm. people are frightened of their feelings um, because they've never been given permission by, you know, from a very early age, part of our belief system is that um, you should not, feeling sad is bad, you know, showing people how we really feel, telling people what we really think is a bad thing. And so we internalise everything and outwardly we're going around giving these Oscar winning performances about how everything's okay, I'm fine, but internally we don't give ourselves the space or time to even acknowledge what we are feeling. For most people, anything other than feeling happy, successful, and like we're moving forward, um, that means failing. And that means, um, that means that that feeling is wrong. And people don't know how to, and don't know how to sit with their feelings. You know, we hear in our circles, possibly, we hear that a lot. Let's just sit with how we feel. And perhaps to us having this conversation here, that's a very natural turn of phrase. But I have been with people when I say that and they're like, what do you mean sit with how you feel? What does that even mean? But, you know, that's a really fair question. What does it mean to sit with your feelings? And it's, as you say, to surrender into the feeling, whatever that feeling is and, and feeling safe, but doing that in a safe place, whether that's in your heart or with another practitioner, so that you know that, that won't kill you because your nervous system is going to kick in, you know, and you will go into survival mode and you're going to start to feel very unsafe. And so it's really about creating that emotional safety where you know it is safe to feel what you feel. I think that's a really, really interesting thing that you touched upon there. And I was just, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, um, when you get exposed to other ways of dealing with grief and you see like different um, ethnicities or, or different um, people with different religious or spiritual backgrounds deal with grief in very different ways and the westernized way is very much isn't it you know you get a period of time for you to be sad and then it's almost like you need to switch that off again now and you need to get on with your life whereas if you you know Look at like what they do in Mexico, for example, with the Day of the Dead, where the whole community come together and they celebrate everyone that's died. And it's a joyful thing, as well as it's something that's really, really emotive to them and really special about coming together. And it almost feels like we're kind of in the West told to put up and shut up with it. I don't want to hear about it anymore, you know. Yeah. And if I reflect upon the yoga practice, which is something that I have had the fortune to study for 20 odd years ultimately the practice is about death it's about it's about the biggest fear that we could have in our lives which is the end of our life mm -hmm. and that preparation but that doesn't get talked about that doesn't get sold does it you know you you go to a yoga class you don't want to be reminded that you're going to die <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you want to be reminded that actually you've got time to live and it's really interesting how we how we do water things down to deal with stuff that we don't want to you know don't want to cope with or we haven't got 
the emotional capacity to deal with at that time. Yeah, it's so true. You know, on that point of everyone coming together, and as you were talking about the Day of the Dead, like I really felt that, 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 that incredible energy around it because what we are taught essentially, especially in the West, is we need to isolate when we are in grief. You know, people, we should not show people what we're feeling. We should not show people what's really going on because it's, it's really seen as being weak. You know, feeling your emotions equals being weak. You know, how many times have we all heard it at funerals when something awful happens? People say, be strong, just be strong. You've got this. You know, and so that makes people kind of go, okay, I have to be strong. I have to pretend I'm strong. And then that's naturally going to make people isolate themselves and not be with others. When that's the point in time, whatever the, the source of your grief is, we really need to be with other people. And isn't it interesting, this, this whole six months that we've all been through together collectively, where life has changed so much for every single one of us, so few people are talking about the fact that we are all collectively grieving, <laughs> but also individually grieving as well. And there's no, I don't, I don't know, there, there seems to be no correlation between, you know, life and society has completely changed, but we carry on and we want things to go back to that word normal, whatever <laughs> that is for everybody. You know, yes. but actually it's never going to go back. We're never going to get back what we've had. And that is why grief is so prevalent in our society. And, you know, it, it, it's so damaging for so many people. Yeah. I, think, I think it's fair to say that 99% of people, I'm throwing out a statistic, but we get the idea, don't have any clue that they're grieving right now. They don't realise that what they're, what's happening to them is they're in grief. They just feel anxious or angry or, or deeply, deeply afraid or sad. But it, it wouldn't occur to them that there's something they can do personally to help them with this process of living in a world which is now completely unstable because we don't know what's going to happen next. We have got no control over what we're going to be told to do next or what might happen in the next six months or so. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the phrase collective, collective grief. It's not something maybe everybody's familiar with and what your take um, on that is. Yeah. So um, at the start of lockdown, I remember I, 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 ha I was watching in amazement at what we were going through. It felt very surreal. Um, and I remember jumping on and doing a live on my Facebook feed, um, just saying to people, because I felt I really had to um, put some context around what everyone was feeling at that time. And I said, we are going through the biggest period of change I think we've ever seen as a generation. And, and grief rises when um, there is a, a change or a disruption in any familiar pattern of behaviour. You know, ultimately at the core of that, that's what it is. Anything we've been used to, when that changes, that can give rise to grief. So that's anything in our lives. And that's what happened to us. Suddenly our world's turned upside down. Um, and, and with that, that collective grief we were feeling, we are feeling, especially even more so in the last six weeks, um, is because so much has changed. You know, 
we have a loss of choice in our life. We don't have choice about very much that we're going through. Um, we have a loss of confidence in our leaders, in the processes we were used to. You know, it doesn't feel like there's anything that we can look to now for a definitive leader as if to say, right, it's going to be okay. We're going to do this. And there's a, a, a course of action that we're going to be going through. Um, you know, all these cancelled events, loss of all these experiences. Like when your children go off, my son went off to university. Normally I would have driven him up myself, but no parents are allowed. So, you know, all these milestones we're losing. Um, unemployment, changes at work, changes in relationships. You know, suddenly we've been thrown with our families where we're not used to spending that much time together or those of us who live alone are spending even more time alone. Um, and there's a lot, a lack of connection in person. There's perhaps a hyper connection online, which feels very, very strange. Um, there's so much change. And, you know, everyone's saying there's a, a, a rise in mental health issues. I think that's a really interesting way of putting it because everything gets lumped together in mental health issues. And, you know, symptoms of grief are explosive anger, anxiety, depression, digestive disorders, you know, recurrent chest infections, all of that stuff is they are all symptoms of grief, of suppressed grief, of unexpressed grief. And, and that's what we all need to really, um, we all need to bring awareness in that and just stop and feel and think about what it is we're really missing and grieving right now. So in terms of people maybe identifying some or all of those symptoms that you have mentioned, and we know that list is kind of, you know, tailored to each individual, but they're really, really useful things to highlight because they sit very much with what I would look for within yoga therapy as well, if I was working with someone within grief. But how, how can people support themselves when they are grieving? Because I think it's, it, you, may, you may have the recognition or you might not know you're grieving at that time, but you might feel some of those symptoms or identify with those symptoms. But how could someone go to support themselves or to even explore whether it is grief or not? <clears throat> okay. So if they are doing it on their own, um, the first thing that they have, there's, some, there's three big things that are big pointers that are big indicators that you may be, may be experiencing grief. And the first one is how often you find yourself either in the past, in your head, or in the future. Because, you know, I talk about the model of the cage of loss in the work that I take people through. And a, a typical person who is stuck in grief it constantly will be thinking of the past situations, regrets, like Dawn said, um, you know, things that happened, things that they wish had happened, things that they wish had happened differently. Or they may be in the future more of the time, constantly planning, worrying, feeling anxious, you know, um, thinking about all the different things that they could be doing. So finding yourself in your head ricocheting between the past and the future is a really huge sign of being stuck in grief and just not being able to be present, not being able to enjoy what's going on, you know, a feeling of disconnection, a complete disconnection to what's going around you at the moment, on a heart level, on a physical level, 
all of that there's a massive sense of disconnection because a lot of people when they're stuck in grief when they don't know they're stuck in grief they will say everything is really good in my life but I know and I feel like I should be really really grateful for what I have but I just don't feel happy and I don't know what it is that's the biggest indicator for me that they are stuck in grief um, and also distractions um, I talk about distractions I call them slurs so there's um, short-lived energy relieving distractions grief takes up a lot of energy in our, on, on a cellular level and so we need something to distract ourselves all the time and those uh, distractions can be anything from food overeating not eating you know over exercising sex pornography any amount of drugs overworking getting involved in other people's drama so it's looking at how often we're looking for constant distractions, how often we have to keep ourselves busy all the time. And those things are massive indicators, along with the feeling anxious, feeling sad, feeling tearful, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. They're very obvious signs. But these other signs, I don't think people really recognise or know, but they're big indicators that you may be stuck in grief. What would you say to somebody if they recognized, you know, they took a moment and thought, yeah, that I can recognize some of myself from that. How would you suggest to them that they begin to support themselves? Okay. So the first thing is not to isolate. The first thing is to find a safe person, even if it's not a practitioner, you know, and when we talk, when you talk to our friends and family, most people and the whole world, I think is most of the world is trained um, in the way that if someone comes to you with a problem, we need to fix them. So we need to, first of all, just tell our friend, family member, whoever it is, the milkman, I don't care who it is, just tell them, I want to talk to you about something, but I just need you to listen. I don't want you to offer me any solutions. I don't want, offer, I want, want you to offer me any, anything else. I just need you to listen to me. Um, and when you have that safe environment, this is how I'm feeling, you know? And, and as we start to speak, even if you don't initially know how you're feeling, as you start to speak, the truth will start to come out and all of these nuggets will start to flow. And the other person can just gently ask you questions, you know, and, and just speaking about something and saying, oh, I'm feeling really awful about this, or um, I feel really angry about this. Um, it's just literally speaking about someone, telling them what happened and how it made you feel. Getting out of your head and getting in touch with your emotional intelligence. Just speaking relieves so much energy, you know, and having that safe space where you know the person's not going to offer to fix you. What you've shared is not going to go anywhere else and it sits there. And that is just a really simple, powerful thing that you can start to do. I would, I would liken that a bit to like um, a volcano. So if a volcano doesn't explode and the steam comes out the sides and the tops, it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes catastrophic. And actually, the sooner we start to let off some of that steam and conversations or however we decide to, to share our feelings with, with others, with safe people, we begin to, you know, bring the pressure down. Would that, would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have another uh, a model. It's the pressure pot of grief. And it's unless, if that pressure is not relieved, 
you know, we have all manner of physical symptoms that will start to arise, you know, like, you know, chest symptoms, um, lung symptoms, digestive symptoms, the tiredness, the fatigue, the depression, the anxiety, all of that stuff will start to arise because we're not relieving that pressure and we're not connecting with our hearts and we're not letting out that grief. You know, there, there are more, um, there are other ways of doing it. You can journal if you don't have safe people to speak to. Journaling is a hugely powerful thing to do, especially when you follow a model like something like the morning pages um, uh, as in the artist way. So that really helps you to connect with what you're feeling because the first thing we have to identify is how we're feeling. And the second thing we need to identify is why we're feeling that way. And we can't, and sometimes it takes time to get to that point, but just releasing as much as we can, as often as we can in the safest way that we can. I suppose to, 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 to flip the question to us as individuals, if we are approached by someone within our circle who says they are grieving, or we maybe recognize some symptoms from maybe this podcast or from other ways that, you know, we might identify within ourselves. Oh, that may be grief. How do we support somebody who is grieving? Yeah. And they might not even know. <laughs> yeah. It's being there to listen in a non judgmental way, in a really open hearted way, because, um, I think that's how we navigate the world. You know, we talk about non-judgment all the time, but actually I think that it's really difficult to be non-judgmental because that's how we make sense of the world. But really um, demonstrating to that person that whatever you feel is okay. Letting them know that, you know, creating safety is about that. It's about creating a confidential space and letting them know that I will not judge you for anything you choose to share with me. A hundred percent. And just being there to listen. And sometimes when we know that someone is struggling with their feelings, sometimes I don't always want to talk, but letting them know that even if you don't want to talk, I'm happy just to come and sit on the sofa and be with you and we don't have to talk. But just knowing that you're not on your own and, and that person who's grieving doesn't isolate is really, really important. It's just that connection, that energy that you can give somebody if, it's okay, I'll come and climb into the pit with you and sit there with you if you need me to. I think yeah. really our natural habit is to want to make it better. You know, yeah. we just desperately want to see that person smile or stop crying or start re-emerging from the, the, the darkness and sort of, and, and, and do what we just think should be right for them. And I think just to really acknowledge that we don't know the pace at which somebody is going to work through anything and so you know just letting them work at that pace and and just being there for them as they go through their process you know i know sometimes and i've done it myself i've seen somebody in the street who i know has got carrying some really heavy stuff and sometimes you don't always feel like you've got the resources or you've got the words but actually just to reach out and stop and say hello how are you? And, and not feeling like if they say too often, dreadful, I'm so sad, and they start crying or, you know, they don't know what to say that that's all okay. You know, that we don't have to 
have the right words, do we? We don't have to have the magic salve for them. It just the fact that we're we're meeting them on a human level, seeing them as, you know, <coughs> excuse me, we're not just friends when it's good, when you're on the up, when you can give me something. You know, I I see you and I see you as a multifaceted being who has all kinds of complex needs. And right now, you're complex needs are that you're in a really dark place and 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 that's and that's okay you know this idea that human beings are only doing well if they're you know on the up and everything's going well that's so it's so linear in its thinking and it's so disengaging a hundred percent and you know on that point I really honestly don't think that people mean to be mean or dismissive but it happens all the time that you'll hear that when people are going through things, they'll often say, my friends just kind of fell away or people literally will cross the road to avoid me. And I don't think that's people being mean-spirited. I think there's two reasons. The first is because people don't actually know what to say. You know, sadness makes them uncomfortable. Any kind of sadness makes them feel uncomfortable. Tragedy makes people really uncomfortable. But also it brings up their own stuff for them, things they're trying very, very hard to forget and not deal with because they don't know how to deal with it. And so that's why people, it's easier for people to isolate and it's easy for, you know, supporters just to kind of go, they need some time, I'll give them some space. That's the exact opposite of what people need when they're in grief. Um, and, and just on that as well, the, the other thing is that people do take their own time in getting through the grieving process, but actually there's a real lack of information about really what to do with the grieving process as well. Um, you know, I found myself looking at the models of grief, you know, um, you know, the five stages of grief. Well, actually that's been completely distorted. You know, there are no five stages of grief. They were the five stages of dying that were adapted into the five stages of grief. And everyone, like you say, grief is not linear. You know, everyone grieves very differently. And that's why what I offer is practical action taking steps of how to release your grief and move through it. Um, and, and that is what I found during my journey that there was a massive lack of, I went to so much talking therapy. I went to so many different counselors. And in the end I was pulling my hair out because I didn't want to just talk about what had happened. I wanted, I wanted to know what I could do with my feelings, how I released my feelings properly and how I moved through. Um, because some people are really of the opinion that grief becomes you for the rest of your life. And, and that's the thing, that's the big message that I wanna get out there that you don't have to sit with your grief, whatever your grief is for the rest of your life. Yes, you don't ever forget what happened, but you can move into a place of real joy despite what happened. And isn't that the ultimate goal for us as human beings? Yeah. We know that inevitable thing's going to come. That big fear is going to take all of us at some point. Yeah. And to learn how to live a joyful and connected life where you can help yourself and you can help others isn't that what all of the practices are about? Whatever spiritual background you look at, whatever religion you look at, it's about how do you connect more deeply with yourself? Yeah. And how do you move forward out of, out of these dark and difficult places and, and, and allow 
what you what you take with you to be something that you can grow from rather than it being something that ultimately depletes you and kills you in the end yeah yeah i totally agree and it's about it's about how we evolve and you know and i think part of that is if we get more education out there that you know grief is more than death because you know we talk about we don't even talk about death and that's the only thing really that is certain um but it's also in helping people understand and i really believe this education needs to start at school about all the other things that break our heart are also grief you know all the other things that come to us almost on a daily basis are capable of bringing of giving rise to those feelings and it's like dawn said it's surrendering to those feelings and and learning to sit with them and knowing how to navigate around them and then moving through them, you know, as opposed to what we are taught right now is it happened, have your three days of grieving and then get back to work and then just get over it, you know, just keep going, just be strong. And it's, it's such a non-human way of existing. In, in life, we like familiarity we like to know what's what and where we can put our feet down so that we feel safe. And when something is taken away from us, it throws us into a place of grief. Then the ground upon which we stand is no longer solid. And that's really something people need to learn how to navigate. And I feel like in this moment, just bring it back to kind of the topic of collective grief. You know, we don't have our feet on solid ground anymore. And um, a new future is emerge and it's a future that we we are going to have to shape ourselves because no one's going to shape it for us um and we don't know what that's going to look like and how can we support each other and ourselves going through that process we do yeah. so this is something that i've been sitting with a lot because like everyone else i'm going through it too um and, and the first thing is acknowledging the losses that we all will experiencing you know but for me personally, like you, I, I contracted the virus um, and that in itself, for, for all of those people who have survived and did contract the virus, there is a lot around that because there was a lot of fear. Um, you know, the virus itself is very fear, surrounded by fear, but there's a lot of fear. There was that fear of dying and then surviving and then the post-viral fatigue that comes with it as well. But also it's acknowledging the losses that we are experiencing in terms of not being able to do what we can do, what we have been used to doing. Um, knowing what that has made us feel. But then after that, acknowledging the loss of control that we are all experiencing right now, what that gives rise to. But then really tuning in on a much more local level at the things that we can control. You know, and it's in focusing in on the things that we can control at the moment and where we can find joy. Um, you know, so many people have found joy in, in something creative, in grounding in nature, planting things, you know, and getting back to basics in terms of cooking from scratch, you know, and connecting to people in a different way as well. And, and, and learning that that might be the way for a while, but in acknowledging your emotions, in working through your emotions, with that comes an emotional resilience. Because I think for whoever knows how long, we're going to have to ride 
ride the waves that COVID and everything else, all the other change in the world is bringing right now. We have to become more emotionally resilient. And the only way we can do that is to acknowledge what we feel, to cry out, scream it out, you know, whatever it is that we need to do, and then get back to our emotional center and just, just ride the waves as they come. You know, that, that, is, that is how I see us kind of navigating all of this. So I, I, I really hear what you're saying. And I think a really important thing that might be worth picking up and maybe Daniel, you might even have something to say about this. What practices are good when to bring you back to your center? Because for some people, they'll go like, well, what's my center? But my before was going out for dinner and drinks with my friends or it was working. I can't get into the office you know, because they have no sense of uh, an inner resilience and an inner space that they can create or to to ground them so you know how, how do we invite ourselves back to our center i think from a from a yogic perspective um and you know from a yoga therapy perspective it it's very much dependent on the experiences that that person has had but then also the knowledge or practice that they may have done prior to this situation now. Because I think to say one thing is really difficult. I would say that anything that I offer to people tends to have some form of breath-focused um, practice. And my intention when working with people who are presenting with grief or presenting with high levels of stress, anxiety, depression, is always about helping them feel more balanced. How do they, how do they get out of that extremity of the nervous system either being over-amped completely or massively underused completely or kind of almost dormant? Where, where do we find that place where they can be balanced? And, and the most useful thing I would say would be would to do some form of breathing practice because ultimately in the yogic practice, the body and the mind are connected by the bridge, which is the breath. So any kind of balanced breathing, and that could be done through walking, that could be done through lying down, that could be done on a Zoom session with other people collectively, it could just be just breathing for a few moments and just focusing on the journey of your breath. It could be as simple as that. But that would be my starting point. What about you, Dipti? Do you how would you invite people to step into their centre? Yeah, so um hundred percent agree with what um Daniel has said about the breath. And and for those who who know breath work, you can do breath work sessions. You can do pranayama breathing. You can do all of those kinds of things, but also meditation. Now for meditation, for some people, you know, it, it's a real kind of big out there concept, but my form of meditation is very simple and, um, and it includes music. So it's literally just this morning I, I lit a candle and I sit there with my eyes closed and the music of my soul um, is, is the flute. I love the flute. So I have a beautiful flute accompaniment playing and, and that in itself just 
just focusing on that music and just focusing on your breathing, it brings up a lot of emotion. And, and we discharge emotion in that way as well. Um, you can journal. So journaling, demystified, is just every day when you wake up, commit to just writing three pages. And it's three pages of brain dump. Anything that's in your head, in your heart, just let the, let the, um, the pen flow over your page. And it doesn't have to make sense, but it's literally an emptying out process. Um, so you've got the meditation, you've got listening to music, you've got breath work, but also just engaging in any creative activity that stills your mind, that grounds you. So it could be, you know, the coloring in, the adult coloring in that you do. It could be, um, I, I found myself, um, we had family bereavements during COVID. So during that time, I found myself on, you know, you can buy small logs, pieces of cut up log. And I found myself just painting on those and just seeing what came out there and just, you know, playing. It's that sense of play and just getting back to basics. Cooking, people love cooking and that's about grounding activities as well. So, so what I'm hearing is we're talking really about coming into the now. 100%. So, and in, and in a, a nice, safe way, a way that, that you feel happy and peaceful with. So we're saying like going for a walk, taking a yoga class, doing some breathing, some mindfulness, listening to music, you know, anything that's going to let you slow everything down and become more present. And that, that's going to open up a, a beautiful, safe space for you that you can come home to. I kind of feel like, that's what we need to be encouraging people to do is like, yes, the world is a bit mental right now. You know, we could go on about all the millions of crazy things that are happening, not just around COVID, around politics and the economy and so on. Um, but within that, if we spend too much time looking outwards, we forget to look inwards and inwards, there is a huge uh, capacity for strength, resilience and joy. So, you know, let's make that that's maybe a narrower view let's keep revisiting ourselves regularly so that we can experience that that kind of a sense of safety that we that we build for ourselves you know and and that, that is so spot on and just one step further than that when we do do that when we create that container for ourselves we allow ourselves to feel mm. you know and that's, that's powerful it's super. You know, it's been incredible talking to you. I'm, I'm really mindful of our time, but I, I would like to um, just ask you, you know, a big part of what this podcast is about is, is self-care because uh, if we don't care for ourselves, we can't care for each other. And, you know, we, we really deserve the very best care. So how, how do you self-care? What's your, you know, if you were to say, this is my one piece of advice, this is what I do for myself on a regular basis, what, what would that be? So I, at the beginning of my day, end of my day, I have my non-negotiables um, and they are journal. Well, I'll start at the end of my day. So I always need to wind down from the day. So it's cleansing my face with beautiful products from Neil's Yard, organic products that feed me. So with the frankincense that feeds my soul and feeds my skin as well. So always um, take off your makeup, take off the day, shower it away. Um, and do something nice before you go to bed, something that feels really lovely, like light a candle, you know, read a book that's got a beautiful cover. If you're writing in your journal, use a beautiful pen, like really give yourself those little upgrades. And the start of my day, more recently, I've got back into my exercise, which feels so good now that I can after 
recovering from COVID um, and my meditation, you know, and I have a dog. So, and we're very lucky to live near Epping Forest. So walking in nature every day as well. So. That sounds like a great self-care plan. <laughs> really does. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Dipti. It's been wonderful to really hear that wealth of experience and, and knowledge that you have around the subject of grief. Um, when we send the podcast out, what we'll also do is just attach some references because you did actually give us some references of things or places that people might want to have a look at or um, books to read and podcasts and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Resources. Resources. Yeah, like resources. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, it was a blog, wasn't it? You said there was a blog that you recommended. Yeah. So we'll post all of that when we send this out um, to um, to the general public. So um, thank you so much for your time today, Dipti. It's been a pleasure. No, it's been a real privilege to have been asked to be on the podcast, and I've had a great time speaking with you both. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dipti. It's been amazing. <laughs>